Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampkin. My guest today is the founder of the clothing group Merge Clothing. He's also a founding member of the Green Real Estate Group, Mr. Amar Green. Thank you for joining me. No problem. Thank you for having me. Hey, man. First of all, look, I, I love following you and your wife, Paige. I went to school with your wife, so mm-hmm. that's how I became familiar with you. Gotcha. Did you have any classes with her? Damn. Why you ask me that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to say, was she a good student? Was she in there or was she in there cracking jokes? Well, listen, I'm gonna say she was an excellent student. I look based on what look based on what she's doing with her career now, do it really matter. <laughs> yeah, you're right, you're right. But at least I but at least I can go back and clown her on something. Like, <laughs> like man, I heard I'm like this, you know what I heard? I heard and now I know you was the class clown in school. And you know what's bad? I can't. I can't remember if I had a class with her or because they she got a twin sister. So I can't she remember. Does. Yeah. I can't remember. I, man, you done put me on the spot now. You gonna have me thinking all night. Did I have a class with them? Nah, it's all good, man. Hey, look, that was over 20 years ago. It's all good. But how's everything going with you today, man? Everything's going good. I can't complain at all. If I did, I'd be lying to you. All right, so let's let's get into it. Let's talk about the the main thing, the, the big thing that, that I really became familiar with you was. Mm-hmm. You talk a lot about investing. Yeah. Like your investment. How'd you how'd you get into investing? So I would say probably my 12th grade year of high school, a friend of mine came to me, my actually my best friend, and a guy that went to his church uh was a um he was heavily invested in a company called Franklin Templeton, um, which was like a heavy mutual fund company. And um you know, literally, uh, he was talking to us about investing. And of course, everything just sounded like, you know, he was speaking a foreign language. So I was smart enough at the time to open up a mutual fund. And um, literally, um, I was investing in that. But someone had asked me, like, so what are you invested in? I was like, in a mutual fund. It was like, in what? I'm like, I don't know. So just by so just it, it, by chance, I got a job working at E Trade Financial while I was in college, and um, when I started working at E Trade, you know, when you get around fire, you get hot. And as I was working there, I learned everything about certificates of deposit, um, the stock market, uh, annuities, everything. Because some of those products I was then packaging and helping brokers sell them. So um, that's how I got involved in investing. Man, you say? Did you say twelfth grade? Yeah, when I was in the 12th grade, yeah. Wow, that's pretty early. Yeah, so that would have been 1998. Man, so before that, how would you describe your financial upbringing? I had none. My parents were, um, I would say, I grew up in Suitland off of Off Road, Suitland, Maryland. I went to Crossland High School. My mother was a teacher. My father worked for the government. Um, and my parents had no financial IQ at all. So, um, I watched my parents, I wouldn't say struggle, but I would watch as a family, you know, certain things like, yeah, we can't afford that. And I hated that. Um, and it was, and my parents, you know, it was five of us growing up in a three bedroom house, one full bath in Suitland. And, um, but I never missed a meal. Um, my parents put anyone who wanted to go through college, through college, even though they struggled, but um, yeah, there was no financial literacy in my house at all. But my parents were huge advocates of education and reading. So um, we had everything in our house from the miseducation from the American Negro 
to um, the autobiography of Malcolm X to Frederick Douglass. So you, I, my parents was always teaching education and reading and self-education. This going to sound a little weird, but I'm 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 kind of shocked that being that your parents were so educated and you know care about books that they wasn't really financially, as you would say, like financially literate. Yeah, I mean that's the case. But you know what's crazy is that's the case with a lot of people. Like you know, um, it's so funny that because I teach financial literacy now. Um, I deal with people from all walks of life. And I'm talking about like, I'm talking about, I'm teaching a lady right now who basically was, not basically, she was in the Olympics and went to Georgetown University. I mean, I'm talking to people who uh, have accumulated a lot of money, but they have no financial literacy. See, the crazy thing is, is that we go to school and we go to college and we spend all these time behind these walls being educated but how much of that education really goes into what to do with your money? Mm. Wow. Did you go to college? I actually went and didn't finish. I went to PG, PG Community College, and then I went to UDC, and I dropped out of UDC to start my own consulting company, and I left because I thought I was going to be a multi-billionaire, which I still am going to be a multi-billionaire, but hey, you know, I'm, I'm, a, multi, I'm, a, I'm a billionaire in training. Okay, look, there's nothing wrong with that. What were you studying? I was actually studying history. <laughs> I expected that. I was studying history because I knew I just needed to get a degree because most of the jobs I was applying for just needed me to have to check that box. So I was going into a bunch of debt to check a box to get a job that stands for just over broke. So I was like, you know what? there's a better way to do this. And then a, a mentor of mine at the time was doing sales. And he was like, man, you know, you don't need a degree to be in sales. You just need to be good at interacting with people and knowing how to close a deal. And that's how I got into staffing. Um, okay. Let's, let's go into that because you, 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 um, you also do like a staffing company. I'm not sure if you, you own it or you work for, let me be clear. I work for I work for a company that's based out of Orange County, California, that has a presence here in the D.C. metro area. So um, I'm the manager of two divisions that I manage our accounting and finance division. And I oversee and help manage our HR admin, um, EAs, um, that division also. Do you does that job actually provide any fulfillment for you? It does. So the biggest thing it does, so it helps me help people who look like us find jobs and help them navigate the coaching part of a job. It's so much into finding a job and getting a job and closing the deal and negotiating your own salary. And a lot of times it's almost like real estate. Like when you have an agent or a person negotiating for you, it takes all the emotion out of it. So therefore, you know, I've seen plenty of people try to negotiate their own salaries and completely mess it up, just screw it up. So it is a lot of fulfillment. It's a lot of fulfillment in it by helping. Uh, it's a lot of guys I grew up with that um, I've helped them find jobs, actually two of my closest friends. So um, and help them take care of their family. So and keep them off the streets. So um, that's a big thing. So it, it's crazy because um, kind of off topic, but a friend of mine I just reconnected with that I grew up with was like, 
he wanted to call me and talk to me about investing. He's like, man, I see you right now where you're at in your life. And um, you seem so far away from where we were as kids. And I was like, the funny thing is, I'm still that same guy. I can still remember hanging on Morris and Maxwell Drive in front of the house of Lee and hanging with my friends. But it's just, I hang on different streets now. So maybe it's M Street, maybe it's Fairfax, Fairfax Drive, um, wherever it is, whatever corporate setting I'm in, that person is always still there. How important is that to keep, you know, to keep you grounded, to remember where you came from? You know what? It's everything because I'm because regardless of whatever room I'm still in, um, I always remember where I come from. So and I'm proud of where I come from because um, I'm super proud of where I come from because I grew up in a I grew up in a dope neighborhood. Like it, it was cool. Like. It was three sections of my neighborhood. And I would say it was the apartments, it was the townhouses, and then it's where the houses where I grew up at. And each level of where you lived there was a different economic status. And the crazy thing is people who grew up in the apartments thought where we lived there, we had money, but our parents struggled just as hard as their parents did. And, you know, um, now I didn't grow up as bad as some of my friends grew up, but, um, you know, I still remember, you know, walking to the basketball court or walking to uh, 7-Eleven after we play basketball, get a bag of Doritos or hanging in front of the house of Lee or hanging in the manor or hanging in the townhouses. So um, a lot of who I am comes from off-road. It does. And I'm I'm proud of where I come from. Let's talk about the um, the stocks because you, you wanted a few people, um, you give out these stock tips. And, and yep. let me tell you, I appreciate the stock tips, by the no way. No worries. How do you come? How do you come to? How do you get these stocks? Like, how do you how do you get to the know which stocks to invest in? So I spend a lot of time in the Wall Street Journal. I spend a lot of time in Motley Fool. Um, I spend a lot of time on podcasts where I respect the people and the information that, that they're giving out. And then I take my time and do my research before I execute a trade, and then go um, here's something I can give back. I would always um, like so we would be in conversations with people, my wife and I, and, I, and they and they would and they would talk, and I would go, um, yeah, you know, I trade or blah blah blah. Or I would start having a conversation about trading, and then people would go, "Well, do you teach?" And I go, "No, not at all." And then um, I was like, "Well, why don't I?" During the pandemic, I said, "Well, why don't I just start giving it away for free, and just showing people where." I'm trading and the trades that I'm making and they can follow them, whether good, bad or ugly. And, um, you know, I'm glad that I started to do that because then people started coming to me and say, hey, would you teach me? And I was like, yeah, I'll teach. I was like, um, and then I started teaching for free. But the one thing I started to realize people weren't committed. People are committed to free. So it, it made me charge people. So it was like, because I would give them stuff to do and say, hey, do these five things and come back to me. And I never hear back from them. So then I was like, I'll start charging people $25 per session. So at least they had some skin in the game. It's not that I'm doing it for the money because I'm doing it for the love of finances and the love of knowing how to make, how to make money and to have my money make money for me. Hmm. I got an interesting question for you. Now that you've, you know, you've been reading, you've been studying, have you actually gone back to your parents and told them finances? So my mother has my mother passed away some time ago. So no, not her. If she was alive, I would say yes. My dad um, is still alive, um, retired. Um, 
He has no, I, I would say my father's had a chance to see me speak at a church about financial literacy. Um, my father's never really been a businessman. So he's never been a person who um, has had a taste or a love or even a willingness to want to learn that. So I'll go teach where people want to learn. It. And, and, and another thing is you got to know your audience and who you're talking to because every conversation ain't for everybody. And sometimes that's even the people we love and i.e. being my father. So no, nah, I have not, no. Mm-mm. And and let me offer my condolences about your mom. Oh, no worries. Thank you. I appreciate that. So no worries. Now, we we, we both look at this. I'm not, let me be clear. I'm not as invested as you are, but I am looking at the numbers. And now we see the stock market been kind of, yeah, it's been a little shaky. What do you say to those people who look at that and say, ah, now see, this is why I don't invest. I would say you're crazy. And here's why. <laughs> because the market is tied into everything that we do. You're already, James, you're already in the market. You just don't even know you're in the market. So if you look at the items you buy in your house, whether it's toilet paper, tissue, light bulbs, what kind of car you drive, what kind of gas you put in your car, all that's connected to the stock market. So whether the market is good or bad, I'm in that market. When the market went down in March, 2020, when the pain, let me just say this. I remember when my wife and I, we were flying back home from Mexico and I was, we were in um, Cancun and I was like, I was watching the news and I was watching what was going on in Wuhan, China. So then I pull up the population of Wuhan, China. I say, okay, it's 16 million people in Wuhan and they're locking down the city. I, I, I literally was telling my wife, I said, that virus is already in the United States. I guarantee you, it's already gotten past their borders. And then that was what, January, February, March, we go into lockdown. So as the market starts to tank, I'm watching the market and I'm literally sitting there nervous and excited. I'm nervous because I know people are gonna die and it's unfortunate and there's nothing I can do about this. I'm also excited because there's gonna be a once in a lifetime opportunity where these companies are going to hit rock bottom prices and I'm gonna be able to buy these stocks at bottom basement prices right now and hold on to them. The stock market is the only place in the world where where it goes on sale and people run away from it. It makes no sense to me. So if Gucci has a sale, everyone's running. Amazon has a sale, everyone's running. The stock market is the only place where it goes in the red and everyone goes, this is why I don't invest. I'm like, this is why I do invest. When I see red, I, I get excited, whether it's in the real estate market or in the stock market. You know, it's funny you mentioned the the um like investing where you buy, because one of the videos that really stuck stuck out to me is you were you were in a restaurant. And I don't know if you were at Cheesecake Factory, but you mentioned Cheesecake Factory like you were just having lunch there. Mm-hmm. And- and you you invested in the stock, so I thought that was like I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, because if you if you there's a gentleman that I, I read his book, uh, really um, thoughtful insight into the investment and stock market. His name is Peter Lynch, and he wrote a book called Beating the Street and One Up on Wall Street. And Peter Lynch's books break it down to a science. He's like. He basically was an analyst for years, and he would go to his kids and his wife to see what the next new hot thing was. And he was always right. He was like, so if my wife is buying me Hanes underwear, I need to, who else's wife is buying their husband and kids, sons Hanes underwear? 
you know, what kind of toilet paper do we use? He's like, you know, one day I was in Tyson's corner and I'm standing and I'm standing on the side and I'm watching this line for people to go on the Gucci. And the line's going around the corner. Same for Louis Vuitton. And I'm sitting to myself like, so if it's lines like that here, that has to be on a global scale. So every 90 days, we're entering into a new quarter. That means that these companies are going to have a great quarter. I want a piece of that. I want to be a, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. Let's transition to real estate. Mm-hmm. How did you, how did you get involved with that? So I would say my wife got us involved with real estate. At the time, I was running, um, I was working at E-Trade and I was running a consulting company part-time. And my wife was talking about getting a real estate license. And I knew nothing of real estate other than just the lady who sold us our house <laughs> at the time. I thought of real estate as like these old older people who finished their careers, that show people houses on the weekends. But I didn't know that it was so much money. To, I mean, it's a... So so like an eight to nine trillion dollar industry. I mean, that's a huge piece of pie. Yeah. So I got started in it by way of my wife. Do you do you guys actually I know she she's first of all, she's amazing. Like thank you. (laughs) Do you guys do you guys do flips or is just so we have done not the actual flip, but we've actually done um gap loans for uh for people who have flipped houses. So for example, um, when you go out and you acquire a, a house to flip, you're probably using a hard money lender. They give you enough, sometimes they give you enough money to acquire the house. The house still has to be rehabbed, et cetera, et cetera. Sometimes when you go in there and start opening up walls, you start finding stuff that wasn't included in your original loan you got. And then you may not have the money. And that's where we come in, when we provide a gap loan, um, where we'll come in and say, okay, great, we'll give you this. We want it tied to the 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 um the actual title of the property. In addition to that, we want um 18% interest on our money. So um we can be our own bank. We are the bank. Mm. Wow. That's <laughs> the whole the whole flip thing has always been interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you see the where do you see the real estate market right now? How do you feel about it? Um, I think that the real estate market right now is we're going into the winter time. We're going into fall and the winter time, which is probably some of the slowest times in real estate because you know you got holidays and stuff coming up. But I think that on one hand, I think we're going we're at peak prices where you know houses are selling for four, five, six times you know what people bought them for. Um, I also think that it's a great time to own a house. I think it's one of the best times to own a house because banks are pretty much giving away money for people with good, with with decent or even good credit. And the interest rates are still really, really, really low. I even asked my wife, I was like, how are some of these flippers even still finding inventory? Because you're going back to like the early days of like the early mid 2000s where you got, um, uh, multiple people bidding on a property. So like you really have to find it, even if a flipper, you have to find like off deal, um, you, have, you have to find off market deals to get it done. Um, but I think it's probably one of the best times to own a house, if a, especially for minorities. We're, we're in the same area, um, PG County. Do you think that, do you think the price is gonna stay where they at? You think they're gonna go down? Do you think they're gonna go up? What do you think? I think they're gonna keep going up because you can't build any more land. 
And <laughs> you, can't, you, you can't build any more land. I think that as we come out of this pandemic, um, you have a lot of people that always move into the DC area for job security and a, state, a stable area with jobs. And um, even places that are like the, 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 we call them the heights, forest heights, district heights, um, whatever heights it is that those places are going to even still keep going up because people are going to find these older homes. They're going to have a certain amount of money. They can fix them up. And as they come into those neighborhoods, they're able to change the dynamics of that neighborhood. I can speak, for example, when I lived on um, 1530, I lived at 1536 Massachusetts Avenue in Southeast. And at this point in time, I was right by the, the Tiger Market right before Lincoln Park. And I remember the first year we moved in that house, my brother bought that house. He bought it on Capitol Hill, 1999 for $50,000, unheard of, <laughs> literally. Mm. That same year, a kid gets shot on the corner. Um, I think my car got stolen from in front of the house. I think because I was, I was young. I, I, I would, I would come home, leave my. I would literally just have my head bad, come out the car, leave my car unlocked, everything. Mm. And um, now you talking about fast forward, nineteen ninety nine to now. Here's the dollar cost average in that. As inflation, your dollar just keeps. It costs more. It takes more dollars to buy something every single year as inflation keeps going up. That house eventually sold for like, I think it was like just shy of a million dollars. Damn. Yeah. And he owned it, right? Yeah. Man, that's a nice, <laughs> that's a nice come up. <laughs> bad investment. But, deal, but deals like that are unheard of nowadays because where, where can you find a house in the DC metro area? Anywhere, whether it's in PG County, Waldorf, Charles County for fifty thousand dollars. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's whew, fifty thousand. That's hell. That's a, that may be even a stretch for Baltimore. Yeah, that probably that is a stretch for Baltimore. Because yeah. I remember I would go to Baltimore to look at price to look at property, and um, at that time this was what back in early two thousand three four. Um, houses up there were selling for like sixty seventy. I think now they're probably over in the hundred thousand range, maybe even close to two hundred. But I mean, you can't build no more land. That's the best thing about real estate. Yeah, yeah. This the the only thing bothers you though, man. This area is so crowded, man. Yeah, but if you're a homeowner, that should make you excited because there's always a demand for the product that you live in. So if you decide one day that you don't want to live in this area, and you wanted to sell your, like I had one of my um, coworkers did this recently. Um, she lived near Mount Vernon in Alexandria and her and her husband, they had two small kids. They sold their house. They probably walked away with probably over $260,000 cash. They moved to North Carolina and they got a house built down near cash where she doesn't have to work anymore. So if you're willing to move out of this area and take your money with you, you can live somewhere in a slower pace of life and probably have a better quality of life also. Is that something you ever considered doing? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I remember one point in time we were going to move to Atlanta um, 
for my job. And I was being promoted to move down there to run our Atlanta and Alpharetta office. But I got cold feet because my whole family's here. So um, my entire support system is here. So aunts, uncles, my family never left the boat. I probably have, I have a cousin that lives in New York. I got another cousin who lived in New York, then lived in San Francisco, who's now back in Baltimore. Um, but I have a very close knit, big family and they're all here. And I have an aunt that lives in, a cousin who lives in Atlanta, but you know, she's out of sight, out of mind. And I actually went down there to visit and I fell in love with the city. But I was like, man, there's no place like the DC. No matter how much I've traveled, there's no place like home. Absolutely. I 100%. We, we, we were just in California um, from 2000, late 2019 to June this year. And we just mm -hmm. moved back. And it's like, nah, I can't. I, I think it's just the dynamics. Of, for me, I'm going to just say for me, just mm -hmm. the amount of successful Black people here is just... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Because you think about it, you go, you, you go, like, Vegas, L.A. Like, I mean, you may have, like, the Baldwin Hill areas of, of L.A. where that's, like, the Black Hollywood. But there's not places you can go. Like, as much as people want to talk about PG County, you can't really find another PG County out there. I mean, like, Atlanta, Atlanta's Atlanta, but, like, you go places where people, like... Even the bad spots of PG County ain't they aren't as bad as other places where you're like, man, like people actually live here. Like mm -hmm. if you go to New Orleans and you look at the projects in some places in New Orleans, you'd be like, man, somebody actually lives here. Yeah. Mm. And I'm glad you mentioned family because that's another thing. Like one thing I, I, I love and respect about you, man. Like I know we don't talk that much, but just following you. I always see you like at your, your family events, whether it be your son or whether it be your nephew, like you're always there supporting your family. And as a man, I think that's huge. I appreciate that. Family is everything to me. So, um, you know, as a, I mean, families, that's all I know. So growing up, you know, my mother had a big family. My father has a big family. Um, and we were, and still are a very tight, a tight knit group. Um, and that's it. So, you know, and I'm, I'm a product of, I'm the middle child of five kids. So I look to the right every, every, I mean, I've never been alone in my life. So it's like, every time I looked at someone around me, whether it's my brothers and sisters, my cousin, aunts and uncles. So, you know, we just got a huge tribe. How do you find the time to support? Because you, because you got a teenage, you got teenagers yourself, but they are, they're from what I see, they're busy. And then you, your nephews with the football. How do you make time to do all this? Man, you got to, so you know what? It's crazy because you there, you know, you have to make the time because it's so crazy that my, um, my nephew plays football and um, I was, I, I've started cycling and um, I went cycling one Saturday and I forgot I told him I was coming to his game. And they keep me accountable. Cause if it's like, if I say I'm gonna do something, they expect me to be there. And like just last Saturday, I went to my nephew's game, my niece's game. She had it, there was another game after that. And then my son plays football on Saturday. So it's like, if I wanna work out, like I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm working out with some friends this Saturday. I'm like, yeah, we gotta get this done at seven o'clock. We gotta start <laughs> at seven o'clock. We gotta be done by eight because I got somewhere to be. And because these people hold me accountable because I don't, you know, like, you know, they'll remember that. And I want them to remember that, you know, Uncle Omar is always in their corner. And, um, 
you know, I love them no different than I love my own kids. Cause like my, my sister-in-law lives around the corner and it was so crazy. Um, I took off two days the week before last. I was just like, I just need some mental health time. And I was riding my bike and I was like, I rolled through that neighborhood. And I told them to come outside. And then before I know it, I'm a big kid at heart. We outside racing on bikes. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I'm like, yeah, I can be sitting down with a CEO of a $22 billion company. And I can also be sitting on the block with my nieces and nephews talking about, let's go to 7-Eleven and ride our bikes. So that's just the type of guy. You touched on something that I think is really important. You talked about taking a couple days to recharge and get your mental health together. Like years ago, you know, especially as men that was frowned upon, but it seems like now they're making a, a better effort for men to take care of themselves. So I want you to speak more on that. Yeah, like we, um, you know, like especially as black men, we try to hide our emotions and how we're feeling. because. You think about it, you're taught to be tough your whole life, especially in the black community. Like you frown, you never smile. Smiling is a form of weakness. Yeah. And then you get older and then you look at like, you know, like, I, you know, you got grown men still mugging or looking crazy. And I'm like, I made a conscious effort a long time ago to start speaking to brothers like that. Cause I'm like, you going through something and I've once been there. So, you know, it's nothing wrong with that, man. I hope you're having a good day speak, say hello, but taking care of your mental health. There's so many of us, man, that are mentally broke down and we don't have an outlet. Or if we do have an outlet, we dumping trash on each other. We just giving each other bad information. And I remember after my mother died, my sister went to therapy. And I, you know, in our, in our community, that's kind of like back then, like taboo. Like you go to therapy, you go to somebody talk to your problems. And I remember when I started going, it was amazing because it was like I was taking a mental dump in someone's office and walking out and I felt amazing afterwards. And then having somebody work with me through my issues, whether it's childhood trauma, adult trauma, whatever it is, to help, to help me better control my emotions. You know, like growing up, you know, where I grew up at, you had guys, man, in the flip of a hat, man, they you know, get to shoot and get to fight and anything. But a lot of times they just don't know how to control their emotions. It's like, man, you gotta be able to sometimes to take a deep breath, walk, step back and look at the situation and go, okay, got you. I could have handled this or I can handle this a lot better than just everything doesn't need to go to violence. Everything doesn't need to go to the hands or to a gun. Just learning how to control your emotions and learning how to work that stuff out in your head. I definitely commend you for doing that because you know, Unfortunately, not enough of us are doing it. I think, like I said, I think it's getting better, but there's still work to be done in the mental, in the mental aspect, in the mental health aspect for us. Absolutely. And it's not talked about enough. I'm glad people are talking about it now, where people are talking about therapy and therapists and going to talk to people. Because a lot of people got a lot of undiagnosed trauma, even from their childhood, just how they look at themselves, you know, how they were treated as a kid or what have you or things they've been through in their family. And that also plays out in their day-to-day -day lives and how they interact with people. So if you can go through and start peeling back some of them layers and start talking and, or talking to someone um, and learn how to deal with those type of issues, man, your life would be a lot better. Cause you start looking at stuff being like, man, I'm not giving out my time, energy, none of that. Like that's just not a space I want to be in. 
You, you are, I want, man, when I, I can't follow that up because you are absolutely right. Yeah, it's not a space on. And plus, also, I think for me, what helped me a lot, I started going to church and I started, my wife's um, cousin was a youth pastor at Zion Baptist Church. And when I started going there and then I started listening to Pastor Keith Battle, man, that helped me out tremendously. Like, I mean, I mean I'm talking about in my marriage, my day-to-day interactions. Like church at some point became a form of therapy because he was taking everyday life and relating it to the word. And because nothing's new under the sun. The only thing that's new is we got some cell phones, we got cars, but man, they had chariots. They had people running down the street, passing information back then. It's just that we're moving a lot quicker. But at the same point in time, if you can slow down and you can learn how to deal with the inner me inside of you, that's that's huge. You and you touched on something. You touched. You you mentioned. Um, you we've we've talked about it throughout the interview. You being married, having a family. Mm-hmm. But the one great thing that I noticed, you and your wife, you were actually you're building something together. Like it's mm-hmm. not just you. It's not just her. You're doing something together. How important is it to now that you're you know being a married man? How important? How is important is it to be built together instead of separate? You know, um, that's a good question. So I've always supported my wife in whatever she wants to do um, and vice versa. I remember when I wanted to get into sales and I asked her for her blessing because I knew it was a huge risk. And I didn't want to take that risk without her blessing because it had gone wrong. I don't want her sitting back being like, well, I told you so. <laughs> so I need to get her buy-in. So um I think my wife has been one of the best assets I've ever had in my life. I remember when I first started dating my wife and, you know, I was doing a lot of things that I had no business doing. And I remember she kept me away from a lot of stuff. And um, because it would be like we were going on dates, we would hang out. And then before I know it, most of all my time was spent with her. So um, I remember my mother telling me like, this is probably, she's like, this is, the best thing that ever happened to you. And I was like, as arrogant, as an arrogant kid, I'm like, mom, I'm not even <laughs> one tenth through the whole, my whole life. But she is, she's been a friend. She's been, um, you know, somebody that I can confide in. She's been someone, you know, I remember, you know, um, when I wanted to go to school and my parents were like, yeah, we don't know if we're going to invest in you because I wasn't a good student in school. And my wife was like, nah, go get a loan on your own and go to school. If that's what you want to do, let's do it. And I'll help you do it. So um, those are things that she helped me through and vice versa. So it's like, you know, when we had our first kid, you know, we got married. Um, It's been one of those things where we got married really young, um, but we grew up together and we grew up pretty much raising kids and working and aspiring for better. Man, that's beautiful, man. Like, like I said, I, I don't know you guys' whole story, but I know a good portion of it. And like I said, I just love to see how you two operate because you could clearly see, even with all the business, it's it's the green group. Like, you guys make a conscious effort to make it about the team. So that's, that's a beautiful thing, man. Absolutely. I'm going to get you out of here on this because I got to give you the chance to talk about the clothing line, Merge. Okay. Yes. 
So um, Merge Clothing is, um, my daughter does an excellent job running that company. And I remember um, uh, I was sitting down with my kids one day and I was like, if you could own a company, what type of company would you own? And my daughter was like, a clothing company. I said, all right, cool. So if you want to own a clothing company, come up with the design, come up with a name, and I'll do all the back-end work. I'll file your corporation. I'll go on there with you. Um, and um, I want, you know, and let's come up with a marketing strategy. And I remember, you know, she was inspired to do the design by something that she had saw and through some other art. And then um you know, she just started designing stuff. And, and then she started, you know, with a, with a little bit of seed money, started just saying, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And then before I know it, she has a whole line of clothes out. And then she went to, um, she started taking sewing classes on the weekend and she was sewing her own stuff. And I, and then one time she had asked me for some money and I said, why do you need to ask me for money if you have a business? You can create money yourself. You don't have to ask me for anything. If anything you want, you can go right in that room, create it. I'll help you. I'll do whatever you need to do. But I want to show you how to hustle where you never have to ask anybody for anything. And my son was supposed to help her with it, but he was still young and he's playing football. He's distracted by other things. But um, and he'll be good at something else in business. But. You know, I I can take no credit for Merge. Merge is just something that I've been on the back end of, but my daughter has done a superb job running it. And, you know, at some point I see her having a multi-billion dollar fashion label because she won't give up. And even the recent sweatshirts she just designed were amazing where um, I kept asking, I said, why do you keep doing all these videos and stuff? She was like, dad, that's our marketing strategy. <laughs> and I was like, well, I grew up in like the hobo all days, DDTP days. <laughs> well, you ain't see no commercials for that stuff. It was just more so like word of mouth. Yeah. But when they do the videos and they do it so good, and then I'm like, show me what you got. And then I post it. And then before I know it, people are inboxing me like, hey, I want to buy a sweatshirt. I want to support. And I'm like, Aaron, you're right. Like, you're absolutely right. I can't take any credit for this. This is all you. How did you feel at that pop-up? Because you was you just you both seem so happy, man, at that pop-up that she ran. So I, you know, I can be a little bit like I, I'm a salesman by 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 heart and by trade. And I'm one of those people that's like, I'm I'm like the guy in the mall, you walk up, he's spraying you with cologne, like, hey man, I'm trying this. <laughs> so I'm I'm so excited for her and the business. I'm like, hey, you gotta come look at this, you gotta see this. And that's why I was like, let's do a commercial real quick because we have the, like if I had this cell phone when I was a kid, I don't know where I would be at right now because you, I can sell from here to China, from here to Brazil, from here to Africa. I could promote a brand. I could be a global brand overnight with just a cell phone mm -hmm. and I can go viral within seconds. So, you know, these cell phones are such a powerful tool. I watched my wife build a multi-million dollar real estate business off of her cell phone. So um, literally I was like, let's just do a video real quick and let's just put it out there and let's just tag people and then maybe put hashtags on it and see what happens. And they end up, they ended up doing really well at that pop-up. We're to the point where, you know, what they, what she invested in and what she's selling and she's already recouped all of her money and everything. Man, congratulations, man. That's, man, just, just talking to you, man, it's, you know, it's been an honor, it's been a pleasure and it's been inspirational, man. And I, I really appreciate you giving me your time. 
Thank you so much for having me, man. Listen, I appreciate the platform. Continue to do what you're doing. You're doing great stuff, man. And I only see this getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, man. So, you know, blessings to you, man, seriously. Hey, thank you, brother. Before we end this, please let the people know how they can follow you, how they can support everything you're doing and what your daughter doing. Absolutely. So if they um, definitely, um, my handle for IG is The Intelligent Banker, or they can just look me up as Amar, A-M-A-R, Green, G-R-E-E-N-E. If they want to look up Merge, is The Merge, M-E-R-G-E, Clothing on IG. So they can follow either one. But listen, we're always down to um, network and talk to people. So we just look forward to, you know, reaching as many people as possible. All right. Well, again, man, I wish you all the best. I wish your daughter the best and, and your family. Cause you, again, I told you earlier, you're doing some great things and I'm praying you guys continue to do great things. Likewise to you also. All right. Thank you. I want to thank everyone for taking the time to listen to the podcast. I truly appreciate your support. You can follow me on Instagram at conversations underscore with underscore lamp. My Facebook is also conversations with lamp. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud and Apple podcasts. Again, thank you all for listening. Have a great day.